This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the podcast or enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. So for this episode of Guest Planning, we are excited. Uh, we are pumped uh, to have with us TK Coleman. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, it's so awesome to be here. I'm a big fan. Hey, cheers. Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> some folks will know, I mean, folks who are watching on YouTube see you in this really chic, really cool and stylish setting. They're like, this man, he must make video. He must make audio. Uh, so they might know you from the Minimalist Podcast. But for those who don't, would you just say a word about, about who you are, where you're from, what you do? Absolutely. So I am the co-host of The Minimalist, a podcast where we focus on what it takes to live a meaningful life, uh, grounded in a sense of simplicity and a culture that is telling us that we need to have, do, and buy everything in order to be someone. And so we show up here every week and, and we talk about those ideas. We answer questions from our viewers. We also do some live shows and so on. Uh, we have a Netflix documentary called Less Is Now. Uh, I encourage everyone there to check it out. And um, also, I'm the education director for the Foundation for Economic Education, where I work with a lot of high school and college students, and I talk about uh, entrepreneurial thinking and, and basic economics and how to apply those principles to leading a flourishing life uh, in a context that's in, in many ways bigger than and smaller than politics, focusing less on what someone else can do to make our lives better and focusing on the things that we can do to reclaim a sense of agency and, and intentionality in our own lives. Boom. Well, yeah. it, it sounded like from our first exchanges that uh, this kind of inheritance uh, or this better appreciation or appropriation of your own agency, intentionality, purposeful, meaningful living led you to the Catholic Church not too long ago. Do you mind sharing just a little bit about how you came to find yourself within the walls of Holy Mother Church? Absolutely. So I was received into the church February 20th, 2020. Um, and so, uh, no, 2022, sorry. So it's been uh, just a little <laughs> just a little over a year. I tried to give myself some uh, some Catholic street cred that I hadn't heard. No, but- That's also uh, pandemic time. We all lost track. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually a PK. Uh, my father's a pastor and I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church in Chicago. Um, and I, I grew up in a really awesome, loving family that, that taught us to value the scriptures and that taught us that nothing was more important than, than prayer and, and, and your relationship with God. And your primary occupation in life is to discover and live out to the best of your ability what it means to love God and to give expression to that in your work and your relationships and so on. And so my journey to the Catholic Church had nothing to do with any kind of bitterness towards Protestantism. It had nothing to do with some sort of experience that made me feel hurt by the Protestant Church and in search of anything else other than that. But it, but it was a, a sort of just a logical extension of moving deeper and deeper into history and, and, and trying to understand uh, how did the early Christians worship? How did they understand the scriptures? And um, what was their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian? And ultimately, uh, the further I went down that path, uh, the closer I got to the, the Catholic Church. And um, it, it's interesting because I initially took this journey about 20 years ago, and I, I got all the way up to the doorsteps of the Catholic Church, and I chickened out. The social costs were so high. 
the level of misunderstanding was so strong uh, and the bitterness in me uh, was so great um, that um, I, I went the complete opposite direction. I said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with any of this. And all of this angst that I'm feeling, all of this hatred that I'm experiencing is just evidence that religion is the cause of all problems. And I went the complete opposite extreme. And I went from being on the verge of becoming Catholic to just venturing out into a, to a more pluralistic approach to spirituality. Uh, but I always kept a sense, however vague, of respect for Jesus. And in, in perhaps the last three years, this haunting question began to, to well up in my soul. And that question was, what did Christ mean by the church when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church? And uh, I had to reckon with the fact that if I was going to say that I had some sort of respect for Jesus, I, I need to answer the same question that he posed to his disciples, which is, uh, who do you say that I am? And, uh, and, and, I, and I knew that whatever answer I gave to that question, it had to be one that I was very rigorous about, that I was at peace with my conscience about. And um, long story short, I can unpack details if you ask, but um, being, being available to that question, uh, that question that was haunting me for some time uh, eventually led me uh, to the Catholic Church, um, the, the recognition that, that this is the church founded by Christ, and, and this is where it's at. This is where the this is where the Eucharist is. This is where the life is. Something that um, I work up here in New Hampshire. I'm a, as our listeners know, I'm a parish priest, but we run the campus ministry at Dartmouth. So I live with friars who are chaplains at a college, and um, they have a good relationship with with a lot of the Protestant students on campus and the Catholic students. And but one of the things in conversation with the friars um, that comes up often, especially with kids who might be thinking of, of converting is, is that point that you just mentioned, the sort of cost um, not, not in, I mean, certainly in religious terms, but also in, I don't know, life terms, you know, the social cost, the, mm -hmm. the, the sort of leaving all family, friends, way of living, those sort of things behind, I guess, I guess the cost of conversion is there for us all, but for a convert, there's there's something more or something different in that. Um, you mentioned that a bit, but I guess what if you had a word of advice or like you know like how how did you approach that? How did you how did was it sort of just like to hell with everything else, or was there sort of a balance of figuring it out? What was that yeah. I guess like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, one thing that was very helpful to me was the realization that. Paying a social cost is not something that is is unique to the Catholic faith. It's it's not something that is optional. It's not. There's no scenario where you can get away without paying a social cost because it, it's built into the nature of the gospel itself. To follow Christ is to pay some kind of social cost, even though uh, what that cost looks like will show up differently for us depending on the lives that we're living. But Jesus himself did not deny uh, the, the sacrifice of allowing himself to be associated with people that were beneath him, people that were less than him, or people that were uh, demonstrably scandalous. And if we are following that path of our Savior, then that means we have to allow room for the fact that part of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ is that we will be associated with people that maybe we feel a little bit embarrassed by, maybe we feel ashamed of, or, or people will question our integrity or our intelligence for the choice that we made. And 
None of us are going to be the first to follow Christ and get out of this life without paying some kind of cost like that. So recognizing that that's part of what it means to live out Christian life, that Christian life isn't just about striving to embody the virtues. It's not just about loving my neighbors. It's not just about, you know, uh, cessation from sin. It's also about taking those social costs, taking those social hits and knowing that's what comes with the territory. I, I think something else that was helpful for me is is the the realization that you don't have to be disrespectful to other people in order to disagree with them, uh, that you don't have to harbor bitterness towards people who sincerely believe that you're mistaken and that you can live a fulfilling, spiritually rich life even when there are other people out there who think you are absolutely out of your mind. Just de-dramatizing how much power you think that have. It's so easy to sort of build up these narratives that says, if someone doesn't like me or if someone thinks I'm mistaken or if someone thinks I'm wrong or that I'm not intelligent, that this is somehow um, going to compromise my ability to, to make my mark on this world, that this will compromise God's ability to do great things to me. I think I think it was really powerful and, and liberating for me to meditate on that. Uh, and then I, I would say maybe the last thing is just realizing how much opportunity and freedom we have to love the people that are really upset at us and that are really disappointed in us for making choices that they don't approve of. Even though people can say all sorts of things and roll their eyes at you, um, there's still just a, a heck of a lot of opportunity to, to say encouraging things to them at a time of need, to, to be generous towards them within the context of everyday life and to find all sorts of ways of harmoniously coexisting uh, without making everything an argument about theology or making everything an opportunity for you to show them that your way of thinking about things is more right than theirs. And a lot of times that's the very sort of attitude and way of being that generates the kind of trust and curiosity that makes people open a little bit later on to hearing what you have to say. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's interesting, like um, listening to you speak, there's, uh, yeah, you can see the coming to perfection of the Pentecostal gifts, which you received. Um, I went to Steubenville and there's, you know, the Catholic charismatic renewal is very present there. So there's a kind of Pentecostal vibe to the mode of Catholicism, mm. which you'll often experience in, in worship and in community and things like that. And students would often speak of the anointing, um, you know, like this or that person speaking with a kind of anointed word. And it's fun. It's like listening to you. It's there's, there's a sweetness, uh, to, to the prose and there's a content that's rich. It's, it's good for me to hear. And I'm really glad to hear it. So yeah, thanks for sharing. It's awesome. Oh man. Well, um, well coming, coming from you, that's the highest kind of compliment. I'm, <laughs> I'm lobbying with all that I have to get you on the show because I, I think <laughs> you, you, you are one of the greatest expositors, not only of the faith, but of of establishing connections between the faith and everyday things that people think about. Even like when you talk about, uh, you did an episode on, on should I stop drinking coffee and just the way you unpack the concepts. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I love to get you on our show talking about simplicity and answering some questions from our audience. So anyway, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, I'm, I'm interested. It's, it's fascinating. So you're in this space uh, with the minimalist podcast and, um, you know, it's like you've, you received a double portion of the Lord's spirit. It's like a fire in your bones. I imagine that you want to testify to our Lord Jesus Christ at every opportunity, but what you're doing, it seems, uh, just kind of in a natural sense is like what we might call pre-evangelization. 
You're helping mm. people to deal with the junk, to deal with the obstacles, to deal with the hindrances that might keep them from otherwise recognizing and receiving the Lord into their lives. But you're probably not always going to describe it in those terms. So what's it what's it been like for you just contributing to this podcast in that in that you know very particular space? Yeah, two things I try to do when it comes to the faith is never go out of my way to not talk about it and never feel pressured to shoehorn Catholicism into the discussion. I try to avoid both of those extremes. So I often will tell stories and various kind of anecdotes to illustrate a point. And uh, I've noticed sometimes that if, if I have a story that I want to tell about a historical figure or, or a professional athlete or a celebrity, I won't hesitate. Uh, but if for any reason the, the, the story, a story comes up about St. Monica or St. Genesius, there's a little voice that says, hey, you better not say that. That's a little bit too Catholic. And I make it a point to never suppress those kinds of stories when they come up. If I feel like quoting a saint, I'm not going to apologize for it because I don't apologize for quoting the litany of other people that I, I talk about on this show. So I, I go out of my way to not go out of my way to suppress my faith. And then at the same time, I don't treat every episode or every conversation as if um, there's some sort of expiration date uh, by which I have to lead that other person to conversion. Um, I, I believe that you know using discernment is important, being respectful to other people is important, um, allowing people to ask questions and being faithful to the actual question that they ask is important. And so finding that balance is is key for me, and it works out really well because one really awesome thing about Ryan and Josh is that we all have different beliefs about politics. We have different beliefs about ra uh, race, about about religion, about a host of things. And we can talk about those things and we can disagree respectfully. We can, um, you know, we, we can unpack the ideas without losing our composure over it. And, and we can say what we believe in a way that, that everyone is, is willing to take a look at and investigate with, with intellectual honesty. And I find our audience has been very good for that as well. The people that tune in, they just want to hear um, discussions on how to live a simpler life. They, they want to hear really good answers to the kinds of questions that they're struggling with. And I find that our audience is really great with appreciating those answers, regardless of what kind of view they come from. And, uh, and, and with me being Catholic and talking about that, um, I, I receive very little resistance in that regard. And so uh, that's a blessing. That, that's definitely a blessing. But looping that back in with the social costs and, and the price of conversion, I will say that that was a major fear um, at that moment where I realized that I was, I was doomed to be Catholic because I would say, especially in America, I, I don't think there's any other religion that everyone is confident that they know about and that they have good reasons to hate. I mean, isn't it obvious that the Catholic Church is corrupt? I mean, isn't it obvious that the institution is evil? Isn't it obvious that the Catholic Church has done more evil than anyone else? And for me, my conversion was about my relationship to, to God and to the church that was established by Christ via the apostles. It wasn't about um, trying to become an apologist or trying to defend anything. And so um, that was a little scary, like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to give an account for every member of the hierarchy who says or does something scandalous? That did feel scary. But for me, I, I just learned to um, trust God, not put the pressure on myself to say things that I don't know, to answer questions that I don't answer, and to trust that God will use even my honesty, even when that honesty is not impressive, to 
fulfill whatever purpose he has for me. If you were to hang around some Dominicans for a little while, you'd quickly realize that we're like a bunch of nerds who care about being right all the time. You know, like at, <laughs> in in DC, uh, when we were when I was living in a bigger community, we had this sort of thing of like, you know, you would say something, and then someone would say, "Well, actually, da 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 da," and you the 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 sort of retort would become. Wait, did you just well actually me? We're trying to have a like a human conversation. It's not a competition necessarily of who's right. And I remember someone saying once, like I, I don't know who it was or if it's a famous, who knows what it was. But you know, like the the game that we're about is is winning argument. Uh, sorry, is not winning arguments, but winning souls. You know. So what you were saying about about how you approach preaching or witnessing or yeah, giving giving testimony to the faith resonates. I mean, you know, I'm tempted to always be right, mostly because I'm always right. But you know, it's it's tough sometimes. Um, yeah, you know. Well, you know sure. and, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm sure there that no one else kind of has that experience of always wanting to be right, but it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, I have I have become convinced too that that the greatest apologetic is 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 our own holiness. And, and, and I think it can be very easy to sort of be presumptuous in our concern about the state of other people's souls. By, by all means, uh, we should love others and, and esteem them higher than ourselves. But at the same time, I, I think it's easier than we often suppose to lose one's soul in an effort to win an argument with someone that we claim to be concerned about. Yeah, that's that's probably true, unfortunately, but good to yeah. be aware of at least. Um, I was going to ask you too, in in thinking about your your own conversion, your you know talking with others about the faith, whatever and whatever kind of degree that is, um, and then the work you're doing on on your podcast. Um, one of the things I, I realize, or I've come to realize, is that we you know it's it's not novel, but that that we cling to sort of like the facade of comfort in this life. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's not always a bad thing um, to want to be comfortable, but it's always it's most often maybe not a helpful thing, um, especially in pursuing Christ and pursuing goodness, virtue. I think there's an uncomfortability in in recognizing that we're sinners, that we're in need of mercy, and that you know to be humble to receive mercy. So yeah, I, I was going to ask like, what, how do you sort of deal with that? I don't know if you don't want to talk about yourself, fine, but how do you kind of approach that in conversations with others of in, in the work that you're doing of sort of being comfortable with being uncomfortable if if that makes sense yeah you know i, I would say there are, there are two manifestations of, of comfort one is comfort as rest and the other is comfort as resistance uh, comfort as rest is when we say hey you know i've worked hard today or or my body could use some sleep or uh this is time to to engage in some recreational activity with my family i'm going to sit down relax and have some tea and read a book that's comfort as rest. You are taking a break from uh, rigorous labor uh, for the purpose of uh, engaging in some activity that is nourishing and relaxing at the same time. But then comfort as resistance is that manifestation of comfort that is an expression of our unwillingness to be challenged, uh, to be challenged to become something better, to be challenged to to aim for something that is greater. And that's the kind of comfort that is self-stultifying because we're, we're called to be more, right? And, and, and uh, an important part of our humanity and an important part of, of, of being Christian is that we give ourselves over to that process of theosis, right? That we allow God to continue his work on us 
And, and that involves a heck of a lot more than God just showering us with really pleasant sensations. It involves God calling us to say and to do and to learn things that are uncomfortable. It requires a, a degree of self-mortification. And so whenever our comforts, whether that takes the form of routines that are really familiar, uh, relationships that feel safe, patterns of behavior, material possessions, whenever our comforts become a form of hiding away from the ways in which we are best, better off being challenged, then it becomes dangerous. And, and we have to practice being honest with ourselves so that we can discern that difference. And, and I think a lot of the questions that we get, a, a lot of the, the people that we work with, a lot of the things we talk about on this show deals with learning how to resist this world's message of consumerism that tells us that comfort is the source of happiness, that if you can just get enough stuff, that if you can just get enough relief, that if you can just secure some kind of existence where you will no longer feel any inconvenience or inadequacy because you own all the right things and you have the right status, then you will be happy. And the truth of the matter is, as human beings, we are creative beings. We are not, uh, consumption is a part of life, but our deepest needs are not met merely by approach, approaching the world as if life is all about acquiring something outside of ourselves. Our deepest needs are met when we are reflecting the creator. Uh, and that's something that you can't money your way into. That's something that possessions can't give you by themselves. And so life is meaningful when we are being creative and we can only be creative when we're willing to be challenged, i.e. uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, Did I so answer that question? Yeah, no, that was, I mean, I didn't expect I would give the best answer ever. And I was, I was just going to say that's a far better answer than I would have had thought of. So uh, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm listening to you and thinking these are, this is great homily material. I'm going to have to yeah. steal a lot of this and not give you any credit. So <laughs> um, that'll be good for me. Yeah. Speaking of homily material. Okay. So it seems like you've, you know, you've got a preacher's heart and you want to testify to uh, the love that you've encountered. And I imagine that you know, in the podcast, you find yourself kind of telling certain stories, preaching certain homilies, as it were, testifying to certain truths. They say mm -hmm. of, you know, the preacher that he only has X number of homilies that he preaches, and it's kind of variations on a theme. So his mm -hmm. three, four, five, six homilies are a kind of overture. And then throughout the course of his life, you know, you've got different movements, but these themes are reintroduced in in this register, in that register, in this way, in that way. Um, so when it comes to, you know, your podcasting, and it sounds like you're really focusing on uh, pushing back against consumerism, cultivating a certain simplicity, carving out the interior space whereby to live purposefully, to live meaningfully. Do you find that you're tending more in a direction of, of certain things more than others? Like, are we talking more like play and space and personal growth or more like nutrition, sleep, stress management? Where do you find that your mind and heart tend when you when you testify? So one of the things I found is that discussions on our show always begin with things, but things is just kind of like the segue into all of the, the various forms of clutter, the various intangible forms of clutter. And so what I find to be very fascinating is things like emotional clutter, relationship clutter, calendar clutter, digital clutter, all of those intangible things that get in the way of a free and flourishing life that aren't always obvious because it's not like a box that weighs something. You know, when you have when you have too much physical stuff, 
you can feel the weight of it. You can see it. It gets in the way. You trip over it. You bump into it. It, it messes with the aesthetic of the room. But there are these other kinds of clutter like thoughts and assumptions that get in the way. There are you know, um, habits that get in the way. And, and, and all of these things compromise our integrity and our authenticity um, in, in ways that are perhaps a little bit more dangerous because we don't see them and they're so socially acceptable. And so I find myself becoming increasingly more preoccupied with those forms of clutter. I'm currently working on a book called Emotional Clutter where I'll be addressing some of the, the ideas and, and assumptions that kind of cause us to victimize ourselves unnecessarily um, because of games that we think we have to play and don't realize we have the freedom to opt out of. And so I, I think that's kind of like the, the wheelhouse where, where I, I, I'm, I'm finding myself gravitating towards. If you were to say in, in, in sort of thinking about beginning to clear away some of the clutter, some of the junk, some of the preoccupations that occupy unnecessarily, what would, you know, being like you, you mentioned habits and, you know, we're creatures of habits and rewriting those habits can be a challenge and a, a process. But what would you, where would you say for someone who hasn't thought about, gosh, these things might be getting in the way of my happiness, of my peace, of whatever, what would you say would be a good kind of starting point or, you know, Sometimes, I mean, even me thinking about it, it, it can seem like an overwhelming task to sort of simplify and to like focus and where to begin can often be, you know, that first step can often be the most challenging. So yeah, where would you say to look? Yeah, I, I think maybe some of the um, inherited conditioned beliefs we have around uh, the, the, the nature and purpose of emotional experience itself. Something that, that I find to be quite common is um, uh, the tendency to treat any so-called negative emotional experience. I'm sad right now. Um, you know, I, I, I feel confused. I, I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious. To treat those emotional experiences as if they are a sin. To treat it like, ah, the fact that you feel this way, um, that that means that um, you did something wrong or that you're a bad person. And, 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 and these emotional experiences are often manifestations of woundedness. They are symptoms of that. Uh, but, but the first step to uh, establishing a healthy relationship to the various feelings that you have is recognizing that I can feel a lot of different things for all sorts of reasons, some of which can be readily pinpointed, but some of which are inscrutable. And I don't have to pressure myself to adopt a theory for every feeling that says I'm feeling this because I deliberately screwed up somewhere along the way. It's possible that you could be feeling something for hormonal reasons. It's possible you could be feeling something because of the weather. It's possible you could be feeling something because of an assumption that you have, because of something going on with your biochemistry, because of something that you ate, uh, because of something that you're imagining. But the most important thing is to be present and to ask what is this moment trying to teach me? And, 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 and letting go of the need to, um, to, to, to condemn oneself for having that emotional experience. Sometimes we look at other people and, and, and we compare our emotional performance with theirs and we say, well, that, that person over there, they look really happy and this person over there seems to be having a really good time and, and they're smiling all the time and they just seem to be always cool and composed and, and they never fret about anything. Uh, and the fact that I feel uh, a little sad right now um, means that 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 
I'm not doing whatever I need to do to be more like them. And, and maybe that's the case, but there could be something else going on too. And that leads me to the second point, which is there's a difference between meaning and the feeling of pleasure. And, and sometimes living a meaningful life demands of us that we venture out into spaces and places and that we do things that aren't always accompanied by the pleasure we uh, that we might call immediate gratification. So I, I often say, and I, I, I unpack this a little bit more in emotional clutter, that, that the real goal is emotional versatility, not what people often call happiness. And I know that's a funny word. I know there are uh, many different words that we could use, but it, it's not about feeling good and pleasant and giddy and cheerful at every moment in some superficial way. It's about learning to learning to be available to God and learning to be available to what God is seeking to do to and through me in every emotional experience, even those ones that don't initially seem unpleasant and even, the, even those ones that don't uh, seem to be fun. And so uh, I, I think about it in terms of like... Uh, you know, I, I call this psychological choreography. You know, like if you think about it in terms of genres of music, there there are some kinds of music that are just really easy to dance to. You don't have to have any skill. You don't have to do any thinking. Like it's almost impossible to make a mistake. If you go to any wedding and any wedding reception, they're going to play these songs like YMCA, you know, or tonight's going to be a good night. And, and the uncle that can't dance, the little kids that can't dance, everyone's on that floor. And all you got to do is just jump up and down, flail your arms, and it's going to look appropriate because you can't get a song like that wrong. But then if the DJ turns off that music and puts on something like polka or something like jazz, something like swing, you'll notice that the people that haven't mastered the art of dancing, they'll get, they'll get a little uncomfortable and they'll go sit down. And then only the people who really know how to groove are going to remain on the dance floor, the people that have mastered the principles. And in a similar way, when it comes to emotion, I think happiness is like a genre of music that everyone automatically knows how to dance to. Uh, you can't get it wrong, which is why when, when we receive some bit of good news or someone scores a touchdown and we're excited about it, we don't call up our friends and say, hey, man, I'm just feeling so amazing right now. It's beautiful weather. I feel good. What do I do? Do I do I? Do, do, do I punch the air? Uh, do I do a fist pump? Do I jump up and down? No, we know what to do because happiness is a genre of music that you, everybody, everyone knows how to dance to. But then when we have those moments where we feel jealousy, we feel anxiety, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of like a genre of music that we don't know how to dance to. It takes some skill. It takes some critical thinking skill. It takes some prayer skill. It takes some craftsmanship. It takes some, some discipline to know how to deal with that. And, and so I think what's important is that when we have these feelings that we label unpleasant, that we don't waste any time beating ourselves up for having those feelings, but that we recognize them as a symptom of woundedness, and then that we choose to be available to what those feelings are trying to teach us, and that we have some disciplines and processes that we can engage in that can help us to transform these unpleasant experiences into opportunities for character development and, and the cultivation of wisdom. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm, 
talking with a couple of Dominican friars here. You guys word things so well. I hope that makes sense. No, that's, I, that's Father beautiful. Greg, I really like the idea that? of a genre of music. No, no, I love that <laughs> idea of a genre of music that, that it's easy to dance to and a genre of music that it's more difficult to dance to because I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people culpabilize their emotions. Um, you know, there are various dimensions to our emotional experience. Like sometimes I'll feel something wash over me and I'm like, holy smokes, where did that come from? I'll cover myself in the Lord's precious blood. I'll bind and send the spirit of anxiety to the foot of his cross. And then maybe I just remain anxious. And it's like, I don't know where this is coming from. And I'll try to connect the mental dots as to what were the experiences immediately antecedent to the present moment that led to this. And, you know, it's, it's tough, but yeah, it requires, like you said, a kind of emotional intelligence, a kind of spiritual intelligence. It requires habituation. It requires the prospect of growth and ongoing healing. And it's just... Yeah, it's cool. It's a, it's an apprenticeship in one's humanity. That's right. And it's, it's kind of like the seasons too, right? Sometimes you go out and it's a rainy day. And unfortunately, you can't really do a picnic on that day. But that's okay. There are other things that you can do on rainy days, things that are actually better on a rainy day than on a sunny day. And sometimes it's really cold and it's snowing out there. And and, and you don't like that because you were hoping to you know go out and play basketball outside and you can't do that in the snow. But that's okay. There are some really fun things like sledding and skiing that you can do in the snow that's actually better for that than on a sunny day. And so sometimes learning to treat those fluctuating moods as kind of like psychological seasons where we say, all right, I'm feeling this way and I've got some processes for what I can do to deal with that. But I don't always have to drive the feeling away or treat that feeling as if it's got to leave, it's got to be gone before I can live life in a way that's healthy. Boom. I think we're going to, we're going to wrap on that. I think that's a great yeah. note with, uh, with which to sound the clarion call to ongoing conversion for our listeners and to make good use of the various kind of simple, humble means, modest means that the Lord puts at our disposal. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for contributing to the conversation and for making the recommendations that you have. Hey, this is really awesome to be with you all. I, I appreciate this. This is an honor. I, I love God's planning and I love you guys and keep me in your prayers. Yeah, with pleasure. Where can where can folks follow up with you? We've got the podcast. We, you mentioned a book, other things besides. Where can we follow up? Just go to theminimalist.com and you'll find all things Boom. there. That's it. A minimalist response to a minimalist question. <laughs> um, all right. Well, then turning to you, the listener, thanks so much for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've let our TikTok account lapse. Maybe we'll revivify it at a certain point. Who knows? Um, if you would like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app and leave a five-star review, all of which helps to get the word out. And then if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, you can follow the link in the description and or show notes. In the same description and or show notes, you'll find links for merchandise and for upcoming events. Uh, one on the horizon is the Young Adult Retreat, which is uh, November 3rd through 5th. So I think that this episode will, will come out right before that. So last chance. If it's after that, my apologies. Time travel. All right. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.